Well, congregation, we have two scripture readings this afternoon. First, you'll find in Paul's epistle to the Romans, read some verses from Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, then we'll turn over and we'll read from Titus chapter 2 into chapter 3. But first, we'll read some verses from Romans chapter 6. We'll begin our reading at verse 1. We'll read down to the end of verse 14. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. And let us hear these words. As Paul said elsewhere, not as the words of a mere man, but as they are in truth, the word of the one living and true God. And let us receive them and hear them and respond to them as such. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us, of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And then we'll turn over to read. <coughs> Paul's epistle to Titus. We begin our reading, verse 11 of chapter 2, and we'll just read to the end of verse 8 of chapter 3. Titus chapter 2, beginning our reading at verse 11. <coughs> A reminder that grace doesn't just bring salvation in a past sense tense, past tense sense, but it also teaches us, disciplines us to do certain things. 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, and he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Amen. May God bless (coughs) those readings of his word. Well, congregation, if you turn again to the back of your Psalters to Lord's Day 26, where we begin our focus, Sacrament of Baptism. We have three questions and answers here. We'll read each of them just now. Lord's Day 26, question 69 asks, how is it that we are admonished and assured by holy baptism the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to us. Thus that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise, that I am as certainly washed by his blood and spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. Then question 70 asks, what is it to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? Answer, it is to receive of God the remission of sins freely. For the sake of Christ's blood, which he shed for us by his sacrifice upon the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Then question 71 asks, where has Christ promised us that he will as certainly wash us by his blood and spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? Answer, in the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed, do we therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated with the scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. 
Well, congregation, brothers and sisters, last week when we looked at Lord's Day 25, I trust you'll recall that we saw that the sacraments are visible signs and seals which have been appointed by God to teach us about the gospel. And the basic message that they are designed to proclaim to us is that by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, as we just read, God promises to freely grant to us the forgiveness of all of our sins, to give us eternal life, all because of Christ's one sacrifice, which He freely offered for us on the cross. And so now as we come here then to this week, to Lord's Day 26, and the doctrine of baptism in particular, we are to see here once again that baptism as one of the two sacraments instituted by Christ in the New Testament. It is specifically designed by God to remind and assure us of these same things also, to remind the recipients of baptism that these things are true. You see, in baptism, through the symbolic action of the outward application of water to an individual, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, According to the words of institution in Matthew chapter 28, God is actually coming to that individual. God is speaking to that person, and He's addressing them. He's saying to them very personally, as an individual, that just as certainly as water has the power to wash away dirt from the body, In like manner, the blood and spirit of Christ, when applied to the soul, also has the power to wash our souls from all of the impurity and pollution that sin has brought into them. Because you see, as a sign, that is exactly what baptism is meant to direct the one who has received it to, not just their need of forgiveness, and cleansing their need to be washed from the defilement of their sin, but the willingness of God to actually wash and cleanse them from all of their sins if they will but put their trust in the altogether sufficient and suitable sacrifice of Christ on the cross on their behalf. And you see, if you and I are to Profit from our baptisms then, as we indeed ought to do. We're not simply to relegate them to the past. We're not to simply think of them, something that was done to us in our infancy at the request of our, our parents, that they have no real or lasting value to our lives in the present. No, friends, you and I ought to view our baptisms as a precious gift from God Himself, which is meant to benefit us all the days of our lives. You see, it is a sign, it's a seal given by God, as we said last week, to continually strengthen our faith in God's promise, promise that He made to every one of us here at our baptisms, to freely wash away our sins, to renew us inwardly through the saving work and power of the Holy Spirit. As He now takes of the things of Christ, He now applies to us the benefits which were purchased for us at Calvary, which we are now called to take hold of and embrace and make our own by faith. 
You see, that's why Martin Luther said, that's why he, he took the words, I am baptized. He actually inscribed them on his own desk in, in Latin. Because, you see, he understood the meaning and intent of his baptism. He knew it was meant to constantly remind him of the fact that God is the one who's reaching out to us in His love and in His mercy through our baptisms to assure us, to reassure us of the absolute certainty of what He promises to do for us in Christ and because of Christ. And that's what we are also to do then when we come this afternoon to once again reflect on the doctrine of baptism. See, while you and I may not be able to remember the occasion on which we were actually baptized as infants, nevertheless, the important thing is that we are to take to heart its meaning and value so that just like Luther, we would let it encourage us in our Christian walk and life before God. And therefore, as we do begin to delve into the subject of baptism this afternoon, I want to draw your attention to what it is that God specifically promises in baptism to all those who do make a right use of it by faith. And that is firstly that He promises to wash us with the blood of Christ, as we read. And then secondly, also to wash us with the Spirit of Christ, two wonderful realities. Well, firstly then, let us look at God's promise in baptism to wash the believing recipients of baptism with the blood of Christ. You see, that is, that is the first definite truth God wants us to see being taught through the outward act of washing with water in baptism. You don't need me to tell you. Every one of us here knows that water is everywhere recognized as a powerful cleansing agent something that we all use continually to wash and clean a whole host of different things. Every one of us, at least I hope this is the case, we, we, we have a bath or we have a shower to, to keep, keep clean during the day and during the week. We wash our cars in water to clean them. We wash our dishes in water. We wash our clothes in water in our washing machines. And every one of us then, we're fully aware of the cleansing power of water in daily life. Well, that, as we've, as we've said, is what is primarily pictured for us in the sacrament of baptism. Also, through the external act of washing with water by which it's performed, the fact that God, in His marvelous grace, He promises to freely wash us in the blood of Christ, to wash all away, away all of our sins through His, His precious blood. You see, as the Apostle John reminds us so beautifully in the opening chapter of his, his first epistle, it is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and His blood alone, which cleanses us from all sin. But again, while the water of baptism may give us an excellent picture of the washing we need, we need to remember it is only a picture. You see, it's not our baptism, our, our water baptism in and of itself, which gives us this washing in the blood of Christ. Rather, as we said last week, it's a sign. It points beyond itself to the cleansing power of Christ's blood. 
the only thing that can actually wash us, remove from us the guilt and defilement of our sins. And you see, the outward washing of baptism, it is designed to direct all of us then from the earliest days of our lives to the one thing that we truly need above all else in life, to be washed inwardly in our souls from the defilement and pollution that clings to us by nature because of our sins. And you see, whatever else may be said then about the meaning of, of baptism, this is the principal lesson we desperately need to take to heart as we reflect upon it. You see, it is a gospel ordinance which should continually carry us in our minds to the one perfect sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. All of the precious benefits He procured for us by that one sacrifice, first among them being the remission of sins. You see, it was at Calvary that Christ gave His life for us. But why? So that we need not perish, but have life and forgiveness in and through Him. You see, there is no other way then to be saved, to receive forgiveness apart from Christ and His finished work. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, it is in Christ alone that we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which in Christ He makes to abound toward us. You see, that is why it is still good for us then to continually reflect on the meaning and significance of our baptisms. Because you see, God is declaring to us through baptism, in clear and uncertain terms, that the price to secure our freedom from sin, it has now been paid in full. Because Christ's blood was shed once and for all when He died for our sins on the cross. And you see, it's that blood that has now opened up the way for us back to God, back to peace and fellowship with God and every other spiritual blessing that we need. Because through the shedding of His own precious blood, every obstacle in the way of our salvation, it has now been removed and taken away through Christ. And friends, that means that God can now justly and freely pardon all of our sins through Christ. And for those of you here then who are now in Christ, God wants to reassure you as you do consider the wonderful picture that baptism paints for you, that you have now been washed, you've now been cleansed from all of your, your sins. You've been reconciled to Him in Christ. And therefore, you've no reason whatever to now fear that your sins will ever come back to condemn you or haunt you. Because you see, having been washed with the blood of Christ, get a hold of this, you have now been fully and forever released from the debt that you owed to God because of your sins. You see, when we sin, what is it that we do? We offend the honor of God. We, we do incur a debt toward Him. A debt that you and I could never hope 
to pay of ourselves. But you see, when we put our trust in the atoning work of Christ upon the cross on our behalf, as we've been saying in previous weeks, then what else happens? That debt that we owe to God, it is forever canceled and taken away, and it can never, ever be recalled again. Never. Because the blood of Christ perfectly covers the offense of our sin from God's sight. And friends, if we are in Christ, we can be assured then of total security and safety from the judgment and penalty of God against our sin because we are now sheltering by faith under that blood. Whereas the prophet Isaiah assures us in Isaiah chapter 1, when we put our trust in God's provision in, for us in, in Christ, then what does he say? Even though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be as what? As white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as what? As wool. Why? Because of the one perfect sacrifice of Christ for those same sins by which they are remitted or put away by God when we do receive His Son as our Lord and Savior. Which is why, as you'll notice, the catechism says here, we receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which He shed for us by His sacrifice upon the cross. Not that we achieve the forgiveness of sin through our own efforts, our own endeavors to find acceptance with God. You see, friends, salvation is something that is achieved for us by Christ alone. And it can only be received then as a free gift of God's grace through faith in Christ. You see, that is what this sacrament of baptism is meant to clearly show us and teach us the beauty of the gospel in all of its glorious simplicity, the way in which we are made right with God, brought into a state of justification. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that is why we're not to now neglect our, our, our baptisms then. We're not to just simply forget all about them. We're not to think of our baptism as something that has little relevance to our Christian life. No. You see, this is the good news our baptism is continually proclaiming to us. That God will no longer mark our sins against us in Christ. Because you see, in Christ, He now sees His people as washed in the fountain open for sin and for uncleanness. That He Himself has opened for His people in and through His own dear Son. And as, as having their robes now washed, made white in the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. And as believers then, we now stand before God, clothed in the perfect righteousness of His Son, fully accepted with Him because of that perfect righteousness. And friends, how thankful if we are in Christ, we should be to God then, that He has given us this gospel sacrament of baptism. Because you see, we need to be reminded of these things 
over and over and over again to assure our hearts before God and to comfort and encourage us in our walk through life. But again, baptism doesn't just remind us and assure us of the fact that God promises to wash us with the blood of Christ when we embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior, our all as wonderful and glorious as, as, as that is. But you see, it also serves to remind us and assure us of the fact, as the Catechism goes on to point out, that God also promises to wash us with the Spirit of Christ or with the Holy Spirit. Because you see, God knows that not only do we need the blood of Christ to forgive and cleanse us from our sin, but we also need the Holy Spirit to bring about a real and lasting change in our hearts so that we can be constantly renewed in the inner man. We can be sanctified. We can be set apart to be a living member of Christ so that we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives, as the Catechism notes. You see, that's the second thing then we want to focus on as we consider the significance of the doctrine of baptism and the washing that it does symbolize. That this washing is a result of the Spirit's work within us. Because in baptism, you see, we're also promised by God that when we do put our trust in His Son, the one to whom our baptism points, that God will not simply leave us in the way that He found us. Instead, He promises to begin a good work in us, to transform us from the inside out. Because you see, God's goal in salvation, it is to make us more and more like Jesus our Lord. We see that taught in the verses we read earlier in Romans chapter 6, for example. For one, that chapter talks about human responsibility, calling in view of God's salvation. It also speaks about God's promise to His people. You see, every Christian, every person who is a true child of God, as we read in Romans chapter 6, they have been baptized by Christ by the Spirit, into Christ's death. You see, our baptism with water is designed then to remind us of this precious reality also. But you see, that reality now means that having been baptized or placed into the body of Christ by the Holy, of, by the Holy Spirit, that reality now means that a great change has been brought about in our experience. You see, one of the things it means is, as we read, we're no longer enslaved to sin. Where Paul says, sin shall no longer have dominion over us. That's the Word of God Himself. Because we're not under law, but under grace. You see, in Christ we're liberated from the works of the law. Dead, empty works of, of self-effort. We're brought up from under the oppressive yoke of the law as a way of righteousness. And we're set free from trying in the energy of the flesh in our own strength to live up to its demands. And we're brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Because you see, we've been brought into a state of, of grace. We have received the Spirit 
that is from God, so that the righteous requirements of the law can now be fulfilled in us, as we now walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And therefore, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I, friends in Christ, we can now say no to sin in our lives. We can now say yes to righteousness. And that is our responsibility before God. Because we are a new creation in Christ. And not only have we been washed with the blood of Christ, we've been set free from the guilt and penalty of sin. But through the washing of the Holy Spirit, we have now been set free from its power and its dominion and its reign. And you see, baptism includes the promise of justification in the first place then, absolutely. Through the washing of the blood of Christ, as we've already seen. But friends, it also includes the promise of sanctification as well. The promise of new life in and through the Spirit. You see, that's what we are talking about here when we speak about the washing with the Spirit of Christ. You see, in baptism, Christ claims us as His own. He calls us then to be holy and only His, and to walk in newness of life. Makes me think, boys and girls, of the little girl in the 1800s. She lived in the far west in the United States. This little girl, she was asked by a few of her friends, what does it mean for you to, to have been baptized? And perhaps you know that in the past out in the great cattle ranches in the far west, there were often unbranded calves which just simply roamed the prairies. They were called by the local people mavericks. And a rancher would claim ownership of one of these maverick calves as soon as he could get his brand or his mark upon that wild calf. Well, when that little girl then was asked by her friends, why she was baptized, what it meant to her. She replied, I was like a little maverick out on the prairie. Anyone could put his brand upon me and I would become his possession. But she said, the Lord came in my baptism to be the first to brand me. He put his claim upon me in baptism to belong to him and to belong to his church. And you see, that's exactly what God has done for each of you children here in your baptism. He branded you, so to speak, set you apart, as it were, by putting his own mark upon you through the waters of your baptism. But you see, that means that he also now claims you for himself, claims you to, to be his own and thus he now calls you to turn from sin, to seek after holiness and obedience through the Spirit. Because you see, God wants to be your God, wants you to embrace him as your God, and to go on following him throughout your life by giving him your heart so that the Holy Spirit can renew you, can make you more and more like the Lord Jesus. You see, that's what God wants for all of us who have been baptized 
For he admonishes us, as as the catechism says, through baptism to be set apart to him as living members of his body, not just baptized members of of a church, so that we can die more and more unto sin. We can lead holy and unblameable lives, lives that are properly adjusted to his will, and conformed to it, and yielded to His will. And that reminds us then that baptism doesn't just speak to us about the great privileges and blessings which are being held out to us, but also the great responsibility that we have to see to it that we don't live below the level of these privileges and blessings. Because as we read earlier in Titus chapter 2, we also read in 1 Peter chapter 4, Jesus Christ gave Himself for us, absolutely. But why? The express purpose that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, a people zealous, for good works, a people who, as Peter says, should no longer live the rest of the time, their time in the flesh, for the lusts of men, but for the will of God alone. And you see, our baptism is a call to every one of us then to be a people who are holy, people who are set apart to God and for God, not just in some things, but in everything to be members of Christ's body, a living member of His body, the church. Thus, those who will now freely choose to live as such in light of our baptisms by seeking after a holy and a blameless life. You see, while it's true that you and I, we can't live a holy and an unblameable life of ourselves, nevertheless, we're not left to ourselves if we are in, in Christ, but we have now received the spirit of life and holiness in Christ to now enable and empower us to do so. And there is no reason then for any one of us, and we can make every excuse under the sun we like, there is no reason for any one of us to go on living in sin. And God has made a full provision for us in Christ through the Spirit to now enable us to live a holy and a consecrated life. And friends, when the world of sin appears so captivating and so desirable then, we are to remember we have a powerful ally on our side. The person of the Holy Spirit who is willing, who is more than willing to give us the strength, the courage we need to resist the lure and pull of sin. But we must also remember we've got to actively turn to Him, seek His help day by day, and that we must learn to open ourselves up to Him, to His reign in our lives, and to allow Him to to reign over our lives so that we can now keep in step with Him as He seeks to lead us in the way of holiness. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's one thing that we need 
to do every day. It is to go on cultivating an intimate, deep, personal relationship with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, by getting to know Him better, by allowing Him to do the work that He has been sent to do, God assures us He will do when we do honor Him, when we do give Him His rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. Our friends, He is the only one who can make us holy, who can enable us to die more and more unto sin, to live a blameless life before God and others. The very life that our baptism calls us to, the life which is described for us in Titus chapter 2, which we also read about earlier, whereby we are to deny all ungodliness and worldly lusts. We're to live soberly, righteously, godly, in this present age, by saying yes to the Holy Spirit, when He does now prompt and incline and animate us to walk in the way that we should go. Brothers and sisters, in the sacrament of baptism then, Christ has promised us that He will as certainly wash us by His blood and Spirit from all of the pollution of our souls, just as our bodies are washed externally with water from dirt and grime. And friends, what a glorious promise this is then. And really it contains within it promise of all of the blessings and benefits we truly need for life and for godliness. We need to remember, as we already intimated, that receiving these wonderful promises does not mean the same thing as receiving what is actually promised. You see, we must never forget it is only those who respond in faith to what is promised who will actually receive it. The benefits which are pictured for us in baptism, they must be appropriated and embraced by faith if we're to enter into the good of them. That's why we're reminded in the answer to question 71, the words of, from chapter 16 of Mark's gospel, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be damned or condemned. You see, all of us who have been baptized then, which I assume includes every one of us here, we need to take these solemn words to heart then, to ask ourselves, what am I as an individual doing with the precious promise of God? He has extended to me through my baptism to wash me, to cleanse me, to renew me in Christ by the Spirit. Friends, are we responding to these promises in faith and in love? Or are we ignoring? Are we despising what is freely offered to us in and through it, counting it as a thing of no real value or importance? Because you see, we need to understand that our baptism is very much like a check which God Himself has handed to us which he signed and sealed with his own very own name, the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it carries with it all of the authority of of God himself. 
And you see, that check is all of the rich blessings we need for life and for godliness, printed on it as it, as it were. And God assures us if we will bring that check to Him by faith, we we'll bring it to the bank of heaven, we'll present it to Him there by faith. He will make good on every promise that is written on it. But on the other hand, if we treat that check as worthless, we do fail to bring it to God and ask Him to do what He's promised through it, then we will discover the words of Mark will come true in our own experience. You see, if we do reject and spurn the love of God, making provision for us in the gospel, coming to us in our baptisms from our earliest days to reveal to us what He's done for us, then like Judas, as we saw this morning, there is nothing we can now expect in the end but to be condemned, to be damned to a lost eternity. And we will lose out then and what could have been ours if we had but made a right and a proper use of it by faith. And I plead with those of you here then who have been baptized, who perhaps are sitting here this afternoon, you have not as yet embraced the God of the covenant, God who has extended these promises to you, who has claimed you as his own, and who even now promises to wash you, make you clean, you will but come to him with a true faith. You will receive what he offers to you. I plead with you to do so now before it may be too late. My friend, it is a fearful thing. It is a tremendously fearful thing. And I emphasize this. I personally believe the lowest hell is reserved for covenant breakers. It is a fearful thing for any member of the covenant community to fall into the hands of the living God, having turned their backs on the blessings that are held out to them through this sacrament of baptism. Well, friends, let all of us see that we don't fall short of what is promised to us in and through our baptism. Let us go on each day to plead the promise of God that He made to every one of us in our baptism to be our God, to be our guide, to lead us in the way everlasting when we will commit our way to Him by faith. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to see You are the God of all grace. Help us to see that in baptism You are displaying to us all of the riches of Your grace that are freely offered to us in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Help us to see that along with the promises, our form of baptism reminds us, along with that promise, there is a solemn obligation upon all who have been the recipients of baptism 
to claim these promises by faith, to plead the promise that has been extended to us in our baptism. You promise to be our God, our Father in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that we would improve upon our baptisms by laying hold of the life and all of the blessings that are held out to us in Jesus Christ, that we would avail ourselves of these things. We do pray, Holy Spirit, work faith in all of our hearts, increase our faith, and we pray that you would work in the hearts and lives of all of your people here. Open our eyes that we would see that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the present, in the heavenly places, in Christ that we are now placed in Christ by your work, that we now have access, free access, to all of these blessings. We are now called to live out of the fullness that is ours in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that we would turn our lives over to you. We pray that there would be nothing in our lives to hinder the work that you've been sent to do. Deliver us, keep us from grieving you from quenching your influence within our hearts. Help us to know you. Help us to love you. Help us to honor you. Help us to stand in awe of you. What an amazing, wonderful blessing and privilege it truly is that you have come into our hearts, that you dwell with us. You come alongside of us. You empower us. You continue the good work that Christ began. You continue that work. You will bring it to completion. You will continue working in us to bring us and make us more and more conformed to the image of Christ. We pray that that would be the longing and desire of all of our hearts to be more like Christ, to know Him. And we pray then lead us to the Father and to the Son and make us to walk with You. And we pray that You would keep us then in this week. Bring these things home to our hearts and minds as only You can. Deliver all of us from living below the level of our blessings and privileges. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us, that you would bless your word, you would mix it with faith in all of our hearts. And we ask that you would hear us now, keep us in this week, keep our minds stayed upon you, go before us in all our concerns, and take us home safely. Shortly, we pray, bless our time downstairs. We do pray that our hearts would be taken up with the things that we've heard that we would speak about them one with another. We would seek to provoke one another to love and good works, to stir one another up, to press on in our walk with you. And we do pray then bind our hearts to yours, that we would love you, that we would serve you, that we would do everything that we do as unto you alone. So keep us, hear us, forgive our sins. We pray it all in Jesus' name, and we ask it for his sake alone. Amen.